1: Welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I will be hosting the show this
0: evening. My name is Ryan Key. That's real weird, because I'm hosting also. My name's Nick. Triple booked, dude. (laughs) I'm so glad you're hosting, Nick. (laughs) Actually, we're quintuple
1: booked, because we have two guests from my band, from Story of the Year, Josh Wills and Ryan
2: Phillips. What's up, stupids? Hello. Dang,
3: so hurtful wow. <laughs> now,
2: I'm a bully You guys are officially in the top 5 best hosts of Thank the Maker this week Nice, you
4: guys are nice. really on stage tonight
2: Am I hosting or guesting though? Ghosting You're in the top 5 best people on Currently. Thank the Maker
4: this week I, I can live with that, I'll live with that one, we accept it
2: Why are you going to call me out like that? I'm supposed <laughs> to know what I'm doing here, right out of the gate You're like, bro, we're the guests
4: you're the hosts. I've done four podcasts, so I know things. Damn, dude, you're so grown. Veteran. We're super stoked to have you here. We tried to get your moms, but they weren't available, so
1: we'll settle for you guys. Do they even like Star Wars? <laughs> My mom does.
3: My mom, uh, every Christmas, we go see the new ones, like Force Awakens, like the other two. Every time she cries, like balls. Oh, it's, that's
4: amazing. That's
3: oh, yeah, she loves Star Wars,
4: dude. I love Karen. My yeah. mom was in Star Wars. You know who Jabba the Hutt is?
3: Dang. <laughs> oh,
2: wow.
4: My mom was in Star Wars 2. You remember Emperor Palpatine? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, before we
1: get started and while we're talking about moms.
2: Can we make a deal before you keep going that you, you have to call me Bill this whole episode since there's another Ryan on the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try not to forget. Go.
1: It's way easier. Bill Key. Ryan Phillips. Yo. Let the fans of Think the Maker know, you know, a little Easter egg, a little bit of information about Josh's mom that you know.
3: Oh, I've seen her naked. <laughs> yep. Uh, I was standing in his driveway, and I watched her get dressed through a window.
4: Yeah, it was tight. So he creeped on her, is what he said.
3: No, I watched it and it, all of its
0: beauty. Sounds like a like some sort of '80s movie.
2: This was like a peeping tom, Michael J.
0: Fox Back to the Future, right? Yeah, moment for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: He's, He's a peeping, peeping tom. tom.
0: Did you fall off the branch into the street afterwards? <laughs>
3: it was beautiful, guys. What was it, George? Bird watching. <laughs>
4: It was beautiful. Yeah, that's all right.
3: You guys can edit this out, but you know what I'm going to say next, Scoobs, right?
4: You f- my sister, fantastic. Yeah, I did. <laughs> my mom also had a giant <laughs> that she hid in her bedroom. That my
2: friends got out at parties.
3: We always got that shit out.
2: Yeah, well, unfortunately, we have become a family-friendly podcast, so f- doesn't f- don't make yeah. it.
3: Well, yeah. but I'm
2: stoked to know all
4: of that. Now hey, you guys can know that. You, you guys can know those things. I love it. Each yeah. one of those words
1: has a unique droid beep. That covers it up.
2: <laughs> I think that <laughs> passes beyond beeps,
1: bro. All right, we're here to talk about The Mandalorian chapters three and four, The Sin and the Sanctuary. This is the way. I'm so pumped. We all love this show like a ton, right? That's unanimous.
2: Turns out it's great. As it turns out... Um... I mean, who thought that anyone could make any good Star Wars anymore, you know? Oh, no. I right. thought know. Who would have thunk it?
3: You know what I love? The whole idea of returning to... Um... I guess for lack of a better word, like appointment TV. Oh, yeah. The fact that you can't like binge it all. Yeah. Dude, at first I was like, huh? It's 2019 or whatever. Pissed. Yeah. And then after the first episode, I mean, it hasn't been since Lost that I had to wait for a show that I was like, so I anticipated a show so much. Right. Yeah, man. Like having to wait a week for each episode, that as a viewer has been like super rad for me.
2: I think it was good that they did that with a 30-minute show as well, if you're going to do it, because yeah. I think as much as when it first came out, I felt maybe a little bummed on the fact, like, oh, no, why? What? Like you said, what, what yeah, decade yeah, yeah. do we live in? But I think if you watched the whole thing, it's it's eight episodes, like, I would have finished that in a night. Yeah. And oh, yeah. then, like, oh, no. Yeah. And if you didn't, you'd void, be like, you know? oh, my God, spoilers. Everybody shut up. Keep me away from the internet. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So – We talked about this last week, if you didn't listen to the episode last week, but I had the ultimate all-time spoiler got me. So before I saw episode one, I had seen, despite my best efforts to avoid it, I saw a spoiler of the child. And so Uh, it was still amazing in the way it was delivered and the the E.T. finger touch was still really special and blew my mind, but I had seen an image of the ears, and so it's like... I knew while uh, the whole time I was watching the first episode, like, okay, at some point, I know what's hmm. gonna happen. Heartbreaker, but. Somebody spoiled uh, Han's death in episode seven for me before I saw it.
0: God. Uh.
3: I heard someone in the bathroom do it, man. It it, uh, it was brutal. not cool. That's why I see the, all those first night, first showing, because I don't give get any of it, dude. You have to. Yeah. You have to. I just,
4: I, yeah. I randomly, it like popped up on like something that I was looking at social media wise. Same. Yeah. That's how like the had child. Nothing, I wasn't mm. looking at like any Star Wars thing, anything. Yeah. I think it was Danny Sumet. Oh, <laughs> punch him. He did it. Right in his little mouth. Like on his Twitter feed, it said something
2: about it. And I went, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, I had seen the film. So we were leaving the theater, went to take a pee before the drive and there was some, two guys in the bathroom just like I can't believe they killed Han solo. <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> I'm like dude, what are you doing? Like there's people everywhere.
4: That's, what is yeah. w- Oh man. Yeah, so the whole time Rough. I'm watching the movie going waiting for it, waiting yep. for it. God oh, man. There it well, is. Well that was Mando episode 1, but the one thing I like about
0: episodes coming out every week is it kind of makes star Wars a priority for like two months, you know, yeah. like people, yeah. the whole star Wars news cycle gets to True. live, like break down. Yeah. All of us idiots get to talk about it for a week. And then another one comes out and you see where it goes. So it's kind of better than like something like stranger things is like, did you see stranger things this week? And then like the next week it's gone, you know, right. Like right. Out, yeah. Yeah, so.
2: there's no more stranger things news for a year. That's yeah. just the way it's going to be. But this is like when the new shows come too. it's just going to be even more, quality content it appears and all of it just in the news constantly every week like new episode new and you know different seasons at different times of the year so that's a good point
1: the two of you nerds what are your earliest star wars memories the very first thing that you can remember regarding star wars in your lives
3: i don't know that i have a specific memory i do know that like out of any movie or group of movies i've seen star wars the whole canon i've seen all of it more than any other movie in my lifetimes like 10 like every holiday every christmas i watched those movies on a weekly basis from age i don't know from my youngest memories all the way until like in my 20s i swear to god non stop like even to this day every winter time i watch all of them i show them to my kids and
1: did you have the actual like purchase vhs or did you have them recorded from cable
3: no i had vhs
1: right. like purchased you know
3: posters on my walls i had all the action figures i still have all my action figures like i still have like an original boba fett luke Darth Vader, I have like a bunch of them still.
1: I didn't steal any of them from your mom's basement when I lived there, by the way, I promise.
4: (laughs) My first memories weren't from the actual films. I had a cousin who had all of like the figurines and stuff. He was a a smidge older. So he had a giant, you know, the Millennium Falcon from back then. Like he had everything. Like the big, huge, like Darth Vader head with where you could put all of the action figures in it. Mm Yeah. yeah, he had everything, and I saw that when I was real, real, real little, and then probably my dad showed it to us at home, because my dad's super into that stuff, too, so I think at that point in time, it was probably, like, recorded from, like, HBO or something like that, Yeah. and my, my grandparents had one of those giant take-up-half-the-lawn-satellite dishes in the country <laughs> Yeah, you had to, we like, We just go talked out there about those. You had to, like, crank it. Theirs was one you had to actually manually crank it To move it to get the different signals Get out there in the yard, boy Turn that satellite <laughs> So we, we watched it down Gosh, there a lot
3: turn it some more
4: <laughs> Pretty much But yeah, we watched it all down there And then, you know, eventually we bought them and stuff So I, it, it started at a real early age Just because my dad was uh, really into it Alright, let's get into The deets The details
1: about these episodes what have you done with those plans? Chapters three and four, The Sin and the Sanctuary. We're not going to repeat all the stuff that we talked about in the first episode because so much stuff remains consistent. The nominations, the IMDb stuff and all that, that's for the whole season. But we'll talk specifically about a few things. So these chapters three and four were directed by Deborah Chow, best known for her work on Better Call Saul, American Gods, Mr. Robot, all badass shows. And Bryce Dallas Howard, mostly known for acting daughter of Ron Howard, Opie Jr. right here. This is basically not her directorial debut, but this is for sure her first big kind of marquee directorial.
2: This, this is where she landed. This is like when I finally got called up from host to server at Chili's in 1999 <laughs> <Yeah>. for her. <laughs> yes, I well I think she done. said
0: that in the gallery episode. She said, this is like when Ryan Key... Got promoted at Chili's. Bilky. Yeah. You know, from Yellow Card. Bilkey.
4: Bilkey. Sergeant
1: Bilkey.
2: Bill, crank the satellite!
4: <laughs> <laughs> These episodes are written by John Favreau as well. He said, don't worry, guys, I got it. Yeah, yeah, he
1: did. You guys seen all my movies? Shut up, I got this. Hey, have
4: you seen Iron Man?
1: <laughs> got it. <laughs> Returning, of course, through this whole thing, Pedro Pascal is The Mandalorian. Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Chubbs Peterson, a.k.a. Apollo Creed, is Grief Karga. Werner Herzog is The Client. Amit Abtahi as Dr. Pershing, Emily Swallow as the Armorer. New to these episodes, we meet Gina Carano as Cara Dune, and Julia Jones as Omera, Omera being uh, the villager that we'll talk about in a little bit. These episodes are 37 and 41 minutes, shorter than, you know, like we talked about before, shorter than we probably would have wanted from, we could have taken a two hour Star Wars episode every week and we would have been pumped, but... 37 and 41 more than the first and second chapters. Hey, but Carl Weathers was also Dylan in Predator. Yeah. If you want to throw that in there. He
2: sure was a part of that bicep shot that will live forever. Yeah, You son of a bitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's the matter? CIA got you pushing too many pencils?
2: (laughs) Okay. Uh. All
4: right. All right. That's one of my favorite. Yo, do you guys want to start a Predator podcast next?
1: Yes. <laughs> Every week we do an episode about only the first Predator movie.
4: It's over and over. Or we could do a Schwarzenegger podcast. Josh, but anyway.
3: when you do your solo podcast, that's what should it be the Schwarzenegger one. Yes, I could do that. Yo, do it. You know what is my favorite thing?
2: I'm ready. Pizza
3: about episode three. Warner Herzog's voice. Yes. His voice. Yeah, he's the best. Dude, it's one of those roles that you just like, you can't imagine anyone else doing that. Like, I want that guy to just come over to my house and talk to me and just put <laughs> yeah. me to sleep. Just read me stories. Yeah. yeah. It's just like perfection.
2: Some of that classic Star Wars, just magical, perfect casting. Yeah, man. It just They just nailed it. We talked about last
1: episode how the very first chapter started with just a bunch of American people. There were no English or European accents at all. And when I watched it, I was like, and this is weird. I'm used to hearing... English accents, right? You know, that Imperial
2: English accent or the door. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then as soon as he came on screen with that German accent, I was like, okay, we're home now. This yeah. feels awesome. And
2: also that he was a bad guy. You know, it was like yeah. I mean I mean not apologies, German friends, for your unfortunate history. But just hearing that voice and that imperial outfit with stormtroopers around him is like, oh yeah, you're you're the bad yeah. guy. Yeah, for sure.
3: Adam, and you said it like uh I had that same reaction too just when it started. I was like, What? This guy's like from Omaha. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. really weird. But in the in the, with episode three, the way that starts how Mando's just kind of like, you know, he kind of exudes, like, cool, collective, measured calmness, you know, that I think transcends his character. Like, the whole show in general, for such a short show, for a 30-minute show, the whole thing just breathes really well. And, like, I, I crave that in, like, music. I crave that in art. I crave that in movies, TV shows. Like, nowadays, people's attention spans are so so short, I think there's pressure, especially from studios, just to be like, bam, 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 bam. Like, shows have to almost be like a trailer, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how this show from the start of episode three, he's just driving a spaceship. It's just calm. He's just like staring out the window. I don't know if it's like a reflection of the times we live in. I was like waiting for him to like grab his iPhone and check his <laughs> DMs or something. <laughs> Cause no one could sit still like that anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that like hits you guys the same way, but like the way the show just has these quiet moments that just kind of like breathe. I just love it.
2: We've talked a little bit about how it's pretty obvious there's kind of a Western yeah. film or serial you know, influence on this show. Yeah. And if you think about those old Western movies or old Western serial TV shows, there is a lot of similarities in there. I think this show each one of these episodes has its kind of its own adventure you know what i mean there is a mm-hmm. through line but he's off on some wild adventure uh, that that is kind of independent of the next episode in a way the child is the through line but what he's dealing with in each episode is like got that kind of episodic serial thing to it, and those old westerns have those call like riding the horse through you know with the tumbleweed blowing or Don't d- dee drinking dee a whiskey dee 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 in the saloon dee 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 before dee 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 the gunfight. Like it has those moments, and I think that stuff is is clearly represented. That influence is clearly represented in every episode of Mandalorian.
4: It's also cool that it got back to almost where you're not on like a giant cliffhanger after every episode. There's a start and an end essentially to the episode where it's, I don't know if you guys ever watched 24, where it's like every episode ends with like, I got to watch the next one. (laughs) Like this one. I mean, you want to watch the next one. It's not so try hard. Yeah. You want to watch the next one because it is Star Wars, but at the same time, you're like, okay, cool. So it started here and it ended here, but there's no like feeling of like, well, that's, that didn't get finished. I really like that about it. Right. You don't feel so baited by the writers. Yeah. You know they're going to finish it out at some point in time, but there's not like this, we got to bring you back next week. It's like right. they know people are going to fucking watch it. <laughs>
3: <Right>. <laughs> to Bill Key's point about the Western kind of influence and vibe, there's also a little bit of like a samurai cowboy kind of thing. Like he's on. Oh,
2: yeah. We're going to get into that, I think, a little bit.
3: I just think it's super dope.
2: Like there, there is a very deliberate samurai influence.
3: I mean, you could say that with Jedi in general, but... I just really like how this show breathes a lot.
0: Same. I feel like we're used to movies in general and specifically Star Wars movies kind of just always having a quicker pace. But we're now into a different medium of television and you don't have to tell the whole story in two hours. So you get to see montages and training montages and him walking for 20 seconds in the desert. And you're just like, oh, my right. God, that's a Mandalorian in armor walking for 20 seconds. And <laughs> it's so totally cool. And there's a little baby yeah. Yoda walking right next to him. <laughs> oh, my God. And you realize that nothing happened. You know, it's like all yeah. I did was get visual candy for 20 seconds and, and it was great. So I think it was really important. I said on the last episode, too, that like the score was so different than a John Williams feeling score. And I feel like it was just really important to wipe the slate clean with a lot of these things to expand what star wars is and how star wars storytelling is and they just did a really great job because obviously it's a success and people have now accepted some different ways to hear star wars scores and consume star wars stories which is great
3: yeah dude stranger things season one when i first saw the show all eight episodes i sat through the entire intro sequence the title card sequence like the, the music everything yeah And with Mandalorian, it's like one of the only shows I can think of that I sit through the outro credits and listen to all the music, Mm -hmm. look at all the illustrations and stuff. The music is such a big part of that show, too. It's like, it's incredible.
1: Ludwig rips. Real talk. Let's do a quick, we just can't stop talking about how much we love this, but we're going to have to do a quick synopsis of each episode, and then we'll get into it. So chapter three, Mando returns to deliver the child who he has scooped up. He's got the bounty. He returns the child to the client. Collects his Beskar, brings the Beskar to the armorer where he gets all new armor made. So he's fully in Beskar steel now. New dude on the streets, shiny as hell. She's making the armor, and there's so much that goes on actually right here in the in this moment. There's so much exposition, but it's written really well as dialogue. We just learn more about kind of Mandalorians in this moment than we kind of do in all of Star Wars, at least this tribe, this clan. He needs a signet on his armor somewhere that says kind of what he represents or what tribe. That's still kind of vague, but point being. He declines the signet because
2: I get the vibe that it has something to do with how you acquired the material for your armor. Yeah. That that's what your signet. It's not like everyone in the clan has the same signet. Your signet is specific to your experience. It's like how do Native Americans get their name? That's why I dropped that into I don't you know it's not a huge moment. And as you said, there's so much exposition there. There's so much detail coming out in that one scene. But I dropped this into the synopsis just because I thought it was really cool that she's kind of suggesting, explaining that this is what a signet is. It, it's based on your own personal experience. And he says, "I can't accept it because he doesn't say it." But this ten-pound green thing saved me, lifted this two-ton semi-truck-sized thing into the air, and that's how I won. So I can't yeah. accept the signet. So I don't know. I
1: thought that was cool. He can't say no. My name is Dance with the Fist. Now my name <laughs> is Dance with Wolves. No, no, I gotta wait. Tatanka. So he returns to the cantina to get a new puck from grief. And it's pretty clear in his conversation right here that he's just not feeling good about what he just did. He's like, just give me another one. I got to keep doing
0: my job. Yeah, he kind of asks if he knows what they're going to do with the child and stuff. He kind of sense that he has like some remorse there.
2: Well, I don't know if any of you saw the child on his way out the door with like you're leaving your dog to go to the grocery store, which means yes. it's the end of their entire life on earth <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you're going to be gone for 25 minutes. That's the face that the child made. Yeah. And it hit the Mando. Well, the cool thing is, is to
4: me, with him and his character and the actor that plays him, how he can emote that much without seeing his face. Yep. Yeah. Like, the, like his body language, everything, like tilts of his head, all that stuff, like, is very apparent even though you can't see any facial expression. It's pretty rad, like yeah the, the way he does it.
2: It's that Juilliard schooling. Yeah.
3: It's like the same thing as like the show breathing and having like silence and just quiet times. It's as much about what he doesn't do as what he does. Like him yep. just being calm, him being just resolute and just the smallest little movement of his head or gesture just speaks a thousand words because of mm-hmm. he's so calm and still, you know? It's just, yeah. it's just as much about what he doesn't do. So dope.
1: So he boards his ship to leave, and that's when it really hits him. His conscience bubbles up, and he's like, damn it. You know, he shuts it all down. He goes back. He's going to get the child. So at that point, the music starts to amp up, and he's kind of in pursuit. He sees in the alley the floating bassinet thing in the dumpster like, oh, God, am I too late? You know, he busts in the door, and he finds Dr. Pershing there with the child on a little medical exam table. He's doing some kind of tests on him, and he's like, what the hell? what are you doing to him? And he's, he's kind of freaking out. This is a cool moment actually for Dr. Pershing. We learn a lot about his perspective on the whole thing. He's protective of the child. He cares a lot. And he's saying, if it wasn't for me, he'd be dead already. Please don't hurt him. You know, he thinks he's coming back to smoke him
2: on that point. I just, let me just drop one little thing in that I'm sure everyone caught, but I think is really cool right before, before Mando goes in, he is using his rifle and like his audio equipment to hear through the walls. And Dr. Pershing fully says the name of whoever is in charge of this whole operation, like the top dog. He says, told me that he has to be delivered alive but they garble the audio on purpose yeah. but if you oh, watch oh, it it's clearly him saying like so and so you know whoever it is on that level admiral thrawn said he has to be delivered alive whoever it's going to be uh yeah. but it's just rad that i think that obviously that that that's in the story that we'll find in the next seasons as they develop yeah. you know who the rogue Im- empire kind of head dude is but uh or sith even
0: but what I like about that scene of him going into the client's quarters and then after, it kind of plays out like, I want to say like a video game, but I want to also mm-hmm. say like John Wick. You know, it's just straight yeah. up like yeah. him being like an assassin, like a silent assassin destroying everybody with like ultimate ease. And it it does play like John Wick, which I think when I watch John Wick is just like watching a video game. You
1: yeah. know?
4: You're seeing all of his skills like at the max. Yeah.
1: It's all shadowed, too, so things are just popping out of left to right, and he's like, nope, you're dead. Psh, no, you're dead. Yeah. Here's my objective.
3: Dude, it's also cool seeing, like, like, growing up, you know, I'm like a million other people where, like, Boba Fett got, like, seven seconds of scree time in the original trilogy, but yet it's, like, everyone's favorite character. Yep. So you for 30 years, you watch these movies, and you finally see what that helmet could do, like, in episode four, where he sees, like, mm-hmm. the infrared footprints, and you see, like, the... You just see what he can do with the technology. Predator style. Yeah, dude. I don't know about you guys, but that was like... You son was of like a bitch. My seven-year-old brain was just like, oh, dude, I finally get to see what that helmet can do, and I get to see what all this technology and that... It's like, so rad, man.
4: It's rad, and at the same time, I look at it and go, man, special effects and costume making wasn't as cool back then. Because <laughs> <laughs> Boba Fett's mask was flimsy as <laughs>
1: <laughs> So he grabs a child, he pieces out, And as he's leaving with the child, all the fobs for all the other bounty hunters light up and it's like, whoa, the bounty's back essentially. So they're, they all start to close in around him as he's walking. It's very Western again. He's walking kind of, it's almost like he's walking down the main street of the dirt road out of town, right? They all close in on him. We're seeing them pop up out of everywhere and it's clear that stuff's about to go down. This big wild West street fight ensues and he's kind of pinned down. He's kind of screwed, right? He sees grief cargo there because he pops up and he's like, bro, this isn't how it works. We're going to take that kid from you. And he's like, no, I'm protecting this kid, whatever. And and he says, if you want to protect the kid, you'll put him down. You're breaking the rules here, essentially. And he's like, how about I go to my ship and you just let it happen? They're just really talking shit to each other. And right when you think like, okay, he's screwed, in come the rest of the Mandalorians with (laughs) jetpacks, flamethrowers, Gatling blasters. They fully come in to save the day. And it's like, I just got goosebumps everywhere. If you've watched Clone Wars... And you're, you're more invested in Mandalorians. This is like, like
2: seeing them in the, with the jetpacks is like, yes,
1: like, oh, my God. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just so glorious.
2: There's a quick thing about that, too, that if you pick up in this episode, Paz Vizsla says in the scene when he's Mando's bringing the Beskar to the armorer, talks about how it's why we can only go above ground one at a time.
1: Yeah, so it's a huge so, deal when they come out. In
2: essence, they're breaking their own code by going to rest, you know, to get behind him and bail him out which yeah. is
1: super cool. They come in and save the day. Mando makes it to a ship to escape. We think he's all good, but then pops out Grief Karga, a.k.a. Chubbs Peterson. He's been waiting there. He kind of ducked out early so he could get to the ship and ambush him again. You know, Mando blasts him. He escapes with the child. Then we cut back to Grief Karga's seemingly lifeless body, seemingly
4: Apollo Creed down on the mat.
2: If he dies, he, he dies. does. What
4: yeah. Yeah, if like, he had like one arm... And the other one had a blaster in it shooting off. <laughs> his blood squirting out of the one and he's just <laughs> with the other one. Uh,
1: he's alive though. Seemingly <laughs> lifeless body. Nope. He's alive. He pulls out of the, the breast pocket on his jacket. The best scar, survived the blast hit
2: Eastwood style. It's like a Western, like the Bible, yeah. you know, the Bible in your pocket. <laughs> yes. to stop the bullet. Back, he pulls back the thing to the future the, three. Yeah. Back to the future. Exactly. They too. borrowed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway, Mando escapes, he's got the child, all is good. Which brings us to chapter four. Okay, chapter four opens with a village being overrun by raiders. Bad dudes coming in to terrorize these people, these kind of indigenous type people.
2: Didn't you guys get like the Spielberg Willow vibes at the opening of that? Like Yeah. It felt like Star Trek to me actually. The
3: flutes and like fishing baskets, you know. I (laughs) just
4: watched Willow. It's exactly (laughs) like that.
3: (laughs) And then at the end of the episode straight war of the worlds man in like the best possible uh, yeah, way yeah, for like, sure for sure to your point about the beginning of the episode it's actually like emblematic of like one of my favorite things about star wars is that there's all these people living in huts and like wearing rags and shit yet they have droids yep. and all this like crazy technology i mean that's like a reoccurring theme through all of star wars i just think that is like Just really, really awesome. I've loved that aspect like my whole entire life. Yeah.
2: We've talked about how what it is, I guess, or what we break it down as, is that it's tech for the people. Yeah. The the reason you can make Rogue One in in 2015 or when it went, that's around when Rogue One came out, right? And all the screens and all the ships and everything can still just be like Atari style because they never cared about 4K resolution pixels and screens yeah. on the ships they cared about hyperdrives and they cared about hollow communication and they cared about you know being able to reach the other side of the galaxy with a hologram and whatever but like that's the thing is like your moisture farm has the droids but you don't have a cell phone because that's not important yeah. your yeah, survival is important and- so I think that's really the theme of it is technology was obviously a huge theme in in all these stories and George Lucas's idea for the films in the first place. But how is technology used? How, you know, when he wrote this shit, it was the dawn of computing. It was pre-personal computing even, really. So the concept of like all this technology is evolving in the 60s and 70s and computers are starting to happen. Like, what are we going to do with these things? And in his mind, I think it was about using them for their most base, process and and you know uses like to get the job done
3: that's it and aesthetically speaking i love how like it's all just like busted and greasy and grimy and exactly the art direction like in the whole universe i just oh man it's so sweet there's no like i guess on with the empire a lot of that shit is really like brand new and sterile but
1: because it's their technology that they they own it's not stuff that indigenous people are repurposing
3: right yeah but uh, just the rebellion and like everything's just like tattered and yeah. gross and worn and blown up and f***ed up. I just think that is just amazing.
0: At the top of this, you know, the real, it's kind of like a cold open in the village and like, yeah, really the the droid that's helping them kind of farm is the only thing that would even make it look yeah. like Star Wars and what's even more, I don't know if off-putting is the right term, but like the music at the top of the show is like this like nylon string guitar, you know, yeah. like yeah. It's, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's so not Star Wars. Yeah, it's Willow. Sure, It's so not Star Wars. Wars,
1: but then it is
2: lord of the rings yeah
1: i really wonder how much this influenced this thing i'm about to say how much this influenced this episode or like the a, a lot of star wars in general do you remember the gods must be crazy yes, yes. this is from ni- 1980 it's this idea that like this coke bottle falls out of an airplane and lands in this village in africa like this village that has never seen modern technology at all They're, they've lived fully like kind of insulated from it And it's like one of a kind, obviously, amazing, like magical thing to them. They don't know what it is. They're using it for all this different stuff. And it becomes their like multipurpose, like they're grinding stuff with it. They're blowing on the, the top of it and making sounds with it. That droid is almost like the Coke bottle in this indigenous people's village. You know what I mean? It's this like one thing that they have from the developed part of the galaxy. But they're still just some people that have been living off the land.
3: Yeah, even like they got that cart. And the droids pulling it. It's like a cart that a horse would pull. Yeah. You know, and they have like lanterns, yet there's this like incredible piece of technology that can probably, I don't know, it's just so sweet.
1: But it's still mysterious to them. It's like this, it's this magic that's like, well, we have it, well, we're just going to use it, even though we have no clue what makes this work.
0: Like 3PO, 3PO and Jedi being like a god to the Ewoks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: That's what I was about to say. Dude could speak 8 million languages or whatever, and these dudes are all living in these huts with stones and, I don't know, (laughs) so rad.
1: So then we cut at the end of this confrontation with the Raiders in the village. We cut to the title card, and then we meet back up with the Mando and the Child. They're on their way out looking for somewhere to lay low in the galaxy. Clearly, Mando knows that the target is on the Child again. He has to get him somewhere. So they come upon this planet, same planet. It's called Sorgon. We don't know this yet, but we're starting to see the pieces come together. He's reading kind of the scanners. There's very few civilizations, the low population. He's like, all right, this will work. They land. They get out and they roll up to this cantina that's very, very rural. They're in the cantina. He gets some broth for the kid. And as they're sitting there, he notices this woman kind of in sort of some armor. No helmet, but she's got kind of shoulder pads and so on. They're eyeing each other. They're on each other's radar, right? So he turns back to talk to, I guess, the server. And then when he looks back, she's gone. So he goes outside to check her out. Says to the bartender, like, watch the kid. Goes out to figure out where this chick is because he's suspicious. She pops out. They fight. And essentially establish neither of us belong here. We probably have to be in opposition of one another. We're going to fight it out. It ends with this like awesome classic, like they roll until they both pull guns on each other. It's a draw, right? Classic kind of thing.
0: Cuts to the bar. You're forgetting right after they are both aiming the gun at each other, a meme was born. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> what a meme too. The child there sip, <laughs> sipping the broth.
3: That's it, ain't vegan, Adam?
1: <laughs> bone broth. That is Bone broth. Look at the bones. So they go back in. They're talking it out. They realize, okay, we're not enemies, but we both have some baggage, right? So we find out that this is Kara Dune. She is a former shock trooper turned mercenary and so on. She basically tells him this planet's only big enough for one of us. Only one of us can hide out and kind of escape our baggage here. So you got to hit the bricks. So he goes back to the Razor Crest. He's going to leave. He's going to go find someplace else. But then these two villagers come up on him. From the village that opened the episode, they're asking for protection. They offer a little bit of money and he's like, no, man, this isn't enough. Get out of here. And they're like, all right, we'll just go back in the middle of nowhere in our stupid village. And he's like, hold up, it's in the middle of nowhere. So he gets this idea, like you see the gears turning, He goes back to Kara and says like, okay, we've got this village of people who need protection. It's totally isolated. Let's just do this. The two of us, we can protect these people. We can hide out. It will be mutually beneficial. She's kind of like, eh, I don't know, but she reluctantly kind of gets on board, right? So they go to the village, and they meet this villager lady, same one from the beginning who was protecting her kid in the water with the basket thing. And they develop this loose agreement to protect them. They're going to suss it out. And then there's this cool little exchange, actually, between this woman and the Mandalorian in, I guess it's a barn they get him. Very biblical, kind of. It's not much, but you can stay here. And she starts asking him questions, like, do you ever take off that helmet? Blah, blah, blah. They're kind of flirting, which is... <laughs> To me, like, so awkward. She's flirting with this dude with this helmet on who underneath could look like sloths from the Goonies. But nonetheless, they have some chemistry. As they're doing this, Baby Yoda's out there hanging with the kids, and there's this great little vibe happening that's kind of new for the show. Even though it's only been two episodes, it feels very different. It's like, oh, wow, this is a, a kid. It's a real little kid, right? He's hanging out with the other villager kids, and he's watching him. He's kind of reflecting. He takes off his helmet and puts it down. It's kind of a big moment early, right? But we don't see anything. Anyway, moves on. The next day or night, I guess, Mando and Kara go to scope out these raiders that they're protecting the village from, and they see these giant tracks in the woods, and they know what these are. They're at tracks. They know that there's, at the very least, a former Imperial death machine here, essentially. So they go back to the villagers, and they say, like, no, you're screwed. Sorry, but you just, you have to leave. Like, you don't stand a chance. We don't stand a chance as two people. You definitely don't stand a chance as a bunch of villagers with sticks. You just have to leave. And they're like, no, we can't leave. We've been here for generations. This is our land. This is where we survive, right? Catch little blue fish. Right. So Willow's we gonna fight. be here any day. <laughs> and Alora <Yeah>. Dannon. <laughs> yeah. So reluctantly, they're like, I guess we have to teach you to fight. So they decide they're gonna do that. They're gonna train them. And I'm thinking this is a thousand movies, but my brain, for whatever reason, jumps to um The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Yeah. One of my favorite movies. So he decides to train the villagers. They're teaching them all these Combat tactics. They're doing the thing with the spears, teaching them different moves. They're building traps. So they're going to do the plan. They're going to go spring the trap. They go to antagonize the raiders and kind of poke the bear, essentially, and get the ATST to come at them. They've got this trap set. Battle ensues. It's awesome. We'll talk about it a little bit later. They win. So then a few weeks go by. Apparently, Mando and Kara and the child are just kind of hanging there. They're becoming kind of part of this local tribe. Mando's been thinking, I need to leave this kid. I lead this rough and tumble life. This kid cannot be with me. It's too dangerous for him. He's sort of found a home here in the village. So he wants to leave him. And he mentions this to Omera and she kind of pushes back a little bit. She wants him to stay as well. She There's a moment where she actually tries to take off his helmet. She's trying to get him to kind of like let go a little bit and loosen up. He's not down. He's like, no, I got to bail. We're going to leave the kid. I got to get out of here. And then we cut to this third person way out in the woods view of what is almost immediately obviously another bounty hunter we see in the scope in the crosshairs, the child. And we're like, Oh God, here it comes. You know, baby Yoda's in the crosshairs. Everyone's freaking out. I'm about to cry. And then you hear a gunshot, bam, birds scatter. They all look to the woods and then up pops Kara. She was behind this bounty hunter. She smoked his ass. He's dead. Saved the day. But it's clear at that point, they got a bail. There's no staying there. They're not safe anymore. So he starts to pack up everything. And it's like, Kids are very sad that they're going to lose the cutest thing that they've ever seen in their lives.
2: Or will ever see in their lives. Until
1: they're dead. (laughs) Mando shakes hands, does the old Viking shake with Kara. So they peace out, and the last shot we see is of the cart heading off, looking the child right in the eyes, all somber and credits.
3: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and N.A. Member FDSE. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view.
2: First I will say that it's really hard to find gripes for this show. I have one out of these two episodes I would say the fact that chapter 4 is 41 minutes long like it was there was a lot of Willow Village stuff and and not as much <laughs> Cool stuff. Hey bro, you keep knocking Willow and it's starting to piss me off. I love Willow. <laughs> I haven't said anything to knock it. I, I just there there was a lot of filler in it in chapter four, yeah, I think. You're good. But I would have preferred one of the more kind of like action-packed episodes to be 41 minutes long. And some of those were only like 28 minutes long. So again, it's hard to find criticism. I stumbled upon this article randomly, not because I was looking for criticism, it's because I was Googling how to spell Ichuda. And (laughs) because I noticed in the Cantina in chapter three, one of the bounty hunters turns over his shoulder and looks at Mando and basically says off," which is Ichuda has been off in Star Wars since it's definitely in the original trilogy. And I'm I sound like a a noob here, not knowing where it's from and referencing it directly. But either way, it's always been like the sassiest cuss word, swear word in Star Wars. So it goes back to chapter one of Mando too. They say Ichuda Mando, um the guy, the the UFC fighter that played the dude in the bar in the first episode. they got his ass whooped. Yeah, I got his ass whooped. So it says, some. this article is basically an entire article breaking down how the Mandalorian has turned the greatest swear word in Star Wars into a greeting. Meaning like, yeah. it's no longer a swear word. And I guess this was written before chapter three aired because you can't deny that that dude at the bar just turned around and said, whatever, you know what I mean? So that's it. That's all I could find is someone was upset with the use of Ichuda. And in today's Star Wars galaxy of fans, be assured, friends, they'll find something. (laughs) So Favreau misused Ichuda to someone's taste. That's all I could find because this show is solid gold. At one thing, and it's
0: not a gripe, it's more of a, hey guys, do you think this is weird? So at the end of chapter four, Baby Yoda's in the crosshairs. The sound of the blaster is definitely more in like a gun or rifle sound as it is opposed to like a blaster sound. And that kind of like stuck out to me. More Chris Kyle, less Han Solo. Yeah, like not a blaster, but like an earthly gunshot sound and i understand why you had to do that if you're going to hear it from like far away or whatever but i feel like it was almost like subconscious that that's the sound that they chose instead of like a laser blast
2: you'd think for 15 million an episode they wouldn't have been like oh shit we're running (laughs) late on sound editing give me a gunshot yeah what do you got
4: i've (laughs) always wondered though so okay blasters are those essentially lasers they're not lasers in, like, the literal sense because that's just light. And the- They're bolts, or they're blaster bolts, they call them. Carbon something, right? Because they call, like, blast holes carbon scoring. Because they can still hide behind concrete pillars and not get shot through. <laughs> right, so, <laughs> right.
1: Well, the, the carbon is, like, is from the burn. But essentially, they're supposed to be, like, kind of like a plasma, like an energy burst, right? And they're slower than something like a bullet. But they contain a lot of energy, and it can be, like, throttled. I guess is the idea like where you could have something set to stun rather than like either have a projectile that goes through somebody and tears up their tissue or not like a regular gun. Mm. So my, I guess response to this blaster thing from a certain point of view, if you're trying to snipe somebody, you want something that's really fast that isn't traceable. You don't see where the bolts coming from. It's only for a kill. It would make sense that they might use some kind of projectile
4: instead of a, like an energy burst. All
0: right. I'm convinced. There you and go. Then also,
4: the answer. how do they make an entire shoulder plate off of a little tiny bar of something?
2: <laughs> Are you asking me to... It's good-ass metal. It, do we have time for me to explain to you the physics and science of the makeup of, of the, the composition of Beskar steel, Yeah, explain bro. to me blacksmithing in Star Wars. I <laughs> you hear want you blacksmithing. me to talk to you about the molecular <laughs> compounds that, that create Beskar steel? That's another podcast, man. Hey, man. I'm just like, it's just a question. How
4: do they make no. a giant shoulder plate? Hey. <laughs> I'm hey, not can knocking I take, it. I just got questions. Can I take a turn
3: towards Positive Town? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That pretty much ends the gripe section because we don't yeah, really have any gripes
1: with it. this show. Well, that's the whole point of the section, yeah. From a certain point of view, hey, here's why the things that people gripe about
2: are okay. Besides uh, freaking yeah, yeah. Mythbusters over here trying to figure <laughs> and debunk everything in
0: Star Wars on our show. Scoop. Which doesn't seem real
3: to
2: any of Star Wars.
3: I'm just asking.
0: <laughs> Scooter, what do you have?
3: I was just going to say, um, like to me, the gift of this show is... What's that big, like, all the Jawas riding that big-ass tank? Sandcrawler. Sandcrawler. That was, like, my favorite shit in the world when I was a kid. And to, like, see that again just hits that nostalgia button so hard for my brain and my soul. And, like, every episode just kind of, like, even like we were talking about before we got on, started recording, like, the little robot arm comes out, the Tachua Blinky thing. In Jedi, when uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 come up to the uh, Jabba's castle door, Every episode kind of has this little thing that's just like reminds me of my childhood and stuff I've been waiting to see for three decades. And you get to see a little something in every episode. And to me, that's just like, what a gift to give like dudes our age, you know?
2: And to think about how it still looks cool enough to be a worldwide phenomenon for young and old alike, like the old stormtrooper uniforms don't look old. The the sandcrawler doesn't look antiquated. It all works for everyone now, just like it worked then.
3: The scooter you know, bikes. Yeah. Give me 18 seconds. I can think of 50 things that this show right. is just like,
2: man. It just like, just shows you what a fan, Favreau and Filoni, you know, what fans they are of it. Yeah. And, you know, and how like tasteful they, they, they are.
3: Like they took it to a new place, but it's still like paid service to all the people that have been, you know, this is a part of their childhood. This is a part of their identity and their like personalities even, you know, and I don't know, like what a gift that is just to. The show comes out and you watch it, and every episode, there's something that's just like a callback to your youth. Like, what a f-ing gift.
4: Yeah. Well, even to me, like the way it's filmed, and like, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I know nothing about filming anything like that, but like the way I'd see it is like the film grain, all that stuff, it doesn't look shiny, like new and like, hey, yeah. look at me. It's still like it harkens back to like the original three, where, and even like Rogue One was filmed like that, where nothing was too like, oh my god it looks so shiny and new and it's it, it just the way they film it and everything like hits that nostalgia button too
3: there's a lot for of sure. with practical effects like costumes yeah. instead of CG and like I don't know dude it's so rad speaking
1: of nostalgic things speaking of little injections of nostalgic serotonin let's talk about some cool little easter eggs
3: for over a thousand generations it is the dark gosh! it's a
1: calicore
3: a Sith wayfinder dark science cloning It's only the second year.
1: Welcome to the Den of Antiquities. (laughs) First one, big one that I noticed and didn't confirm until someone else confirmed it and it's here in the notes. Probably shout out to Kurt. Paz Vizla. It's the big buff-ass Mandalorian who in chapter three has a standoff with Mando. They had that little fight in the covert. When he sees all of the Beskar, he says, these were cast in an Imperial smelter. These are the spoils of the Great Purge. The reason we live hidden, like, sand rats. So it's exposition, but it's also this awesome, like, antagonistic kind of point of conflict with them. Anyway, that big dude, that's voiced by John Favreau.
3: That's what I was going to ask. Dude, because yeah. it sounds like that little Muppet nerd. Muppet that nerd? Muppet nerd. What are you talking about? <laughs> the The pilot in Solo. Favreau voices him, too. It's like I could hear the kind of the, the same. With all the arms. You know? What's his
2: name? Rio. Rio Durant. FYI, the body in the suit of uh, Paz Paz however we say it is Tate Fletcher, the MMA fighter who also plays the alpha trawler or alpha trawler is his name. I don't know. In chapter one in the cantina, he's an MMA fighter. That's a big stunt guy. He's been in a ton, ton of stuff. Favreau has like some, he definitely is a fan of MMA between like casting Gina Carano. Do you
0: guys remember? I barely remember this. He was on friends as like an MMA fighter. I remember that. (laughs) This
2: (laughs) this dude's been, uh, he's in Jumanji. Breaking Bad, Westworld, John Wick. I mean, he, he's been in a lot of stuff. Oh, dude. So,
1: Westworld, I think I remember. Yeah, he's the it.
2: woodcutter guy with the map on the inside. Yes. Of his skull, or, yes. Yeah. So I just, I think that's cool. I mean, that's obviously yeah. it's a tight-knit fam on that set, you know?
0: There's one, one weird thing here, too, that's like so nerdy and weird. That character's name is Paz Vizsla, V-I-Z-L-A. And if you remember last week's episode, pre-Vizsla and the whole Vizsla clan is like a huge part of Mandalorian history. But they spell their name differently, V-I-Z-S-L-A. So I don't know why they would just use a name that is huge in Mandalorian history, but spell it differently. That just seems super confusing. Hey, from a certain point of view, I think I got you.
1: Yeah. I think I got it right here. From
0: a certain point of view,
1: think about the number of names in America that were just butchered by whoever
0: was at the desk at Mm -hmm. Ellis Island. It was like, your name's what? Right. That's how I'm going to spell it. Yeah. yeah, my my mother's side of the family was, they came over from Italy and they were, their last name was Tersi with an I and it became Terso for who knows what reason. <laughs> wow. There it is. The droid that answers the door for the client. We talked about this
1: earlier, same type of droid from Jabba's Palace. I want to know the name of that droid and it's speaking
2: Huttese for sure. I want to know if that droid says Ichuda yeah. as well. Pretty sure it does in, in Jedi. In Jedi. Yeah.
3: He says Tachu Blinky and ha 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 ha. <laughs> That's it. Nick, did you say he does say Ichuta? In I'm pretty Jedha? sure it says
2: Ichuta to 3PO. To 3PO. How yeah,
3: rude. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah it's exactly. like he says that again, I'm like just sure. like he did an empire yeah. to the other droid. I can't remember though.
1: I'm going to program my Roomba to say <laughs> you to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Mandalorian receives his reward for bringing the child in in a Kemtono, this container, which is the same shape. It's the same, I mean, it is the same thing as the quote, ice cream maker. Carried by now famous Will Roe Hood in Cloud City in Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Me, you go to any Star Wars celebration, there are a bunch of people in this costume. They do this run, this run. I think we've talked about where everybody's running with the ice cream maker. It's this big joke. They made the thing canon now, and it's, it's a safe, essentially.
2: Which makes sense. Remember, for Emily was telling us when they yeah right. Emily was telling us when they brought it on set, like everyone, all, all the Star Wars nerds were like, "Whoa!" You know,
1: it's so sick, dude. When it opens up, it's all you know, yeah. smoke
4: comes out of it. Adam, I have an answer for you. What is it? The TT8L Gatekeeper is a surveillance droid commonly used to screen visitors at ultra-exclusive locations, also known as the Tattletail droid. The Tattletail wow. droid always at the door of the club.
2: I bet you are not getting into a gentleman's club on Tatooine without one of those little dudes checking you out first. You know what I mean? Like he is just VIP locations. mm -hmm. You can't get into the, the, the Twi'lek bath houses. (laughs) Yeah. What are they called? Talks
4: about. Yeah. Yeah. It also says it was manufactured by Servo Droid Inc.
1: (laughs) It's one of those company names. that just like, they were the first thing like local auto body Servo
4: Droid Incorporated. (laughs) (laughs) And there you go. Well done. You want to be a producer? Can't. Busy. (laughs) Deborah Chow is
1: officially the first woman to direct a Star Wars project. Hell yeah. Shout out Deborah Chow. More of that. Her work on this episode so impressed everyone that she was asked to helm the upcoming Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which we're so pumped about because she crushes. Yeah, the whole thing. Shit, yeah.
0: Get some continuity with directors, which is cool. But I think that took her off Mandalorian season two.
1: Well worth the sacrifice. Make the sacrifice. (laughs) Sorry. In chapter four, due to prior commitments, Pedro Pascal does not appear on screen as the Mandalorian at all in this episode. So it's other actors in the suit, which is mentioned in the Disney gallery thing. But I didn't realize until just this second that it wasn't just like, oh, this shot should be this guy because it's dangerous. Or this shot should be whatever. It's not him in the suit. It's just his voice.
2: Which is interesting, goes back to we were talking about the, ma- you know, the mask work, and I immediately, mm-hmm. in my head, connect that with his classical theater training. I'm, I'm almost positive he went to Juilliard, and Juilliard is a place that teaches very classical theater style, and in that type of training, you do a ton of mask work. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why it's so badass, but that means these guys that are, or his double, or whoever it is, good on them for doing the body work you know, and the mask work that they were able to yeah, do with the
0: character. There's two different people. They show them in the in the
2: gallery episode. There's two. Very cool. One of them's John Wayne's son, grandson. It's hard, right. man. It's Something hard like to that. do the, the body work like that, like wearing that much costume and armor and, and the helmet. And everything. it's to develop a character and the, and, a, and the body language and the movements to be consistent, especially across two different guys. I mean, that, that's really a feat. Very cool. Testament to the directors too, to be able to keep it consistent.
1: Speaking of directors... Christ Dallas Howard, who directed Chapter Four, spoke about the inspiration for the ATST in that episode. It was directly inspired by Jurassic World that she starred in, the twenty fifteen Jurassic World. She said, quote, "I didn't feel like we had really seen an ATST be as scary as it potentially can be before." Another thing I was eager to explore is that I wanted it to feel like a dinosaur, and John was totally cool with that. That's sort of the reference I definitely go to in my head: the idea of being chased by a T Rex that's familiar to me because she was of course in those movies something that was really fun was to just project that persona onto the atst and that's exactly the feeling i got watching it the first time it was like i thought of jurassic park you know from the 90s but still that shadowy kind of they really should have gave it two
4: little t-rex arms that really would (laughs) have just put a
0: a cherry on top
4: (laughs) well i think i think they're they're able to do that now with technology because if you think back to like Return of the Jedi, it's all like weird stop motion, so it's not even remotely scary. And the first time
1: we saw anything like that, it was all broad daylight. So this doing it in the mm-hmm. shadows of the night is yeah, dude. sick.
3: Yeah, I just showed my uh, my kids the first Jurassic Park like two nights ago. I can definitely see that, but I can also see the War of the World shit, dude. Just those big wide shots with the fog mm-hmm. and yeah. just that menacing, those menacing eyes and like that bigger than life. Oh, dude, so rad.
1: So do we know officially... It was, it
4: was like autonomous, right? Yeah,
0: I don't know. They just had it. I don't know. Sure. I don't,
4: I have the feeling that like, maybe they had like a, one of those little things inside there with it. I have no or, idea. Or, but.
2: yeah, I mean the idea that it had the red eyes kind of sign, signifies that it was modified in, in a major way. It was in like a uh, scout mode or some kind of crap? Yeah, so there could totally be, I think it could totally work that it was like, it was just operating independently like a droid. Sentry mode.
3: Yeah, and like to Bill Key's point, like an hour ago about like that episode starting with the Willow music and all that stuff, <laughs> that is so effective because those people are helpless against that, gigantic metal monstrosity of a machine, you know? Yeah, the the episode
2: starts out with this peaceful flute fisherman's (laughs) village and ends in the darkness of night with this demon robot towering over them, blasting them to death. It is a monster to them. So
3: I think that's very intentional. I think that's really clever just to, like, you know, the juxtaposition between, like, these peaceful people living off the land in harmony with nature, just these really calm peaceful people and then just that gigantic machine man dude it's scary it's scary to watch yeah
1: think about just even the colors the very first thing you see is in the water those little blue Mm -hmm. delicate fishy kind of things they're living in this very serene green area and then the dark red and black Mm -hmm. is a perfect kind of just polar opposite dynamic to
4: establish
3: yeah it's really really clever
4: well done hey do you think they could have trained all those people in one afternoon though (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, man, we're done with that segment, all right? <laughs> Star Wars busters, everybody. It's just not real.
2: It's not real. Hey, I like, love
4: it. I just, I, I just watch it and go, hey, man, even in Star Wars, you can't do that.
3: <laughs> we need a montage. <laughs> yeah. I do, again, agree with, with Bill Key that just seeing that again, just like, man, my childhood. Yeah. Oh, man. At this point, like, it doesn't even need a storyline. They could just show shit like that, and I'll just be like, <laughs> yes, you know?
1: Let's talk about our favorite stuff, officially. Let's give each of us one or two before we get into giving out some medals based on our polls to the patrons.
2: I usually go first. I think I'm going to steal the line that probably I might be unanimous. Maybe not. I don't know. But if it does, then we'll just finish the podcast a little faster and then we'll be fine because Ryan needs to go to bed. So the line, the quote, I watched it today to get ready for the podcast. The first time that you realize this is the way is a thing
3: yeah <laughs> dude yeah i
2: remember watching it the series for the first time i don't think we made it all the way to the end but the first few episodes since it was weekly watched on the road uh, with newfound glory on tour so we were watching on the bus you know after the show late at night and that was a moment i remember like with friends watching where everyone was just kind of like whoa this is gnarly you know like it's Macrito it was just so I don't know so good and so I have to steal that one if I'm going first that this is the way is my favorite quote for sure uh, that came from these two episodes my favorite scene though maybe not something expected or or like up high on the list of what you would think would be a favorite scene but it ties directly into a lot of what Ryan's talked about with that nostalgic bone being rubbed in exactly the right way like just feeling like fan service that is absolutely absolutely perfectly executed. I think my favorite scene in these two episodes is when the Mando goes back to rescue the child. That fight sequence, not even the one on the way out with all the Mandal- all the other Mandalorians, the one where he goes into the the VIP, the gentleman's club to to rescue him <laughs> and and blasts all the stormtroopers. And here's why. I've mentioned before on the last episode we talked about Road One, Josh, you brought it up how it's not clean. It's dirty and grainy. And when you see the stormtroopers in chapter one for the first time, they're all dirty and beat up And the white shiny uniforms you're used to seeing on a stormtrooper are just, they're not that. And in this battle, I just don't think there's ever been a fight in star Wars like this, where it kind of had that John wick, everything short of like blood on the walls, headshots, you know, like these dudes were getting smoked, and there were like really dark shots of them on the ground, dead and smoking. Dude, he burns one of them alive. Yeah, and you, yeah, hear the yeah. And you hear the guy screaming. You hear him screaming dark. as he's burning alive inside of his armor. I'm a sucker for when Star Wars, the newer Star Wars, takes things like that kind of to the next level and grounds them a little more in reality and less in fantasy. Like, yeah, this is what it would look like if you were in a dark hallway fighting stormtroopers with fire and lasers, you know? And- and i think the the grittiness of that gunfight was something very new had never been seen before in star wars and set the tone i think for the rest of the show as far as what the fight scenes were going to be like the kind of death and destruction we were going to see in the wake of the mandalorian and i so i just i think my favorite scene was the fight scene when he goes to rescue the child
0: my favorite scene I don't know if it's my favorite, but I do enjoy it and I want to bring it up. When he walks into the Bounty Hunter Guild after getting, like, fresh-ass RoboCop armor. (laughs) (laughs) And he walks in with, like, total swagger. (laughs) And I really do like that scene because, like, every Bounty Hunter's like, oh, my God, look at this guy. And then Grief Karga says, they all hate you, Mando, because you're a legend. So he's walking in just like he's a total badass. Everyone's looking at him.
2: He says something like, "They're wearing your armor in their brain, but not me." Yeah, yeah. I just think,
0: especially the way grief says that too, is just so funny. He's like,
2: "They all hate you because you're a legend." It's Like walking into the eighth grade dance in your new Z Cavaricis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: surprised, honestly, that I haven't heard more. Like, dude, that's like exactly RoboCop's armor. <laughs> it's like the exact same. He just
2: needs a Ford Taurus parked outside.
0: <laughs> that real futuristic Ford Taurus.
3: That are alive. You are coming with me. <laughs> yeah. Drop it. (laughs) So
0: it's not my favorite scene, but I have to feel like it's worth mentioning.
3: I'll go next. I'm going to echo Bill Key a little bit. I'm a bit of a broken record here, but again, the nostalgia button. I think it's total fan service without being pandering. At no point do I feel like the writers, directors, producers, the showrunners are like pandering to my nostalgia, but they twist the knobs in the right way where I'm like in hook, line, and sinker. And the 8-year-old me and the 38-year-old me and the 28-year-old me and the 18-year-old me are just all in 100%. And I think that's a lot harder than people would anticipate, you know?
2: Oh, it's such uh, a fine line, dude. It's such a dude, fine total, line.
3: Dude, totally. I think that was like different show, but I, I think that was a lot of people's gripes with Rise of Skywalker and maybe The Force Awakens to some degree it's just like a little pandering, you know? I don't feel that with The Mandalorian at all. I think they just rode that line perfectly and— Again, every episode, I'm just like, oh my God, I've been waiting 30 years to see this shit and to see the dirty storm troopers, the, the empire, like the, I'll stop talking. I'm just saying all, all that. I just think it's executed at such a high level that as a fan, I'm just like, I'm in hundred percent. I can't wait to October 30th.
2: What about a favorite quote?
3: Yeah, dude, this is the way I say it weekly basis still a yeah. year later. It's like in your vernacular
2: now. I do. I say For it sure. all the time. I, take, yeah. I answer people with it in regular conversation.
3: Yeah, yeah. I say it to my kids all the time. Yeah, they say it's me. like yeah. almost as famous yeah.
2: as "May the Force be with you." Now, I mean, it really yeah. is, dude. It's wild. Yeah. This doesn't has anything to do with these episodes, but
4: I always tell my kids, "I have spoken." Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just ends. Dude, dude. So, so good.
2: good,
3: Scoops. I said that shit this morning. Oh, dude, <laughs> this that's, morning we, to my kids. We, we say it,
4: Me and Christy say it all the time to the boys. Like it's I have spoken, so and good. they just kind of go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. It's
0: yeah. almost like this is the way, is like, may the force be with you. And then I have spoken is almost like a Yodaism, I want to say.
4: Yeah. 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 Josh Wills. Mine's not specific to the episodes in particular. It's just an overall thing, I think, with the actual character of the Mandalorian. I told Adam this earlier, but I like how these Mandalorians and our history with Mandalorians are these like total badasses that don't seem to have any kind of. Uh, sensitivity to anything like they're just doing their job and that's it i like how this particular mandalorian like he has more depth to him and it's like he's not just insensitive to everything not just with the child but like his interactions with other people aren't specifically like i'm just here to do my job piss off kind of thing i I like how there's more depth to him than that and it's surprising at times where you think like oh he's not going to answer that person But then he does with more of a like a a sensitive, not, I don't want to say sensitive, but there's more of like a more thoughtfulness, a vocabulary between people with them, other than just like a silent Mandalorian just out to kill people and collect bounties and stuff. I I just really like that overall theme of the show. And I know you probably have to have that to actually have a good show, but like (laughs) it's a different take on it, which I like a whole lot. Well, it makes that character work
1: because like we talked about already, you've got a dude, and you mentioned this before, got a dude whose face we never see hanging out with a puppet the whole time. You know what I mean? And the mm-hmm. idea that we're going to find human connection with these two things is like kind of bonkers when you think about like pitching the show. Yeah. You know, like, okay, what? People are going to connect with this steel face and this foam head, but they pull it off for, because, sure. for all the reasons that you just mentioned. What about a quote from these episodes? I know uh, I have spoken from the others as your one, but.
4: when he, At the end of the episode, when <laughs> he says, I got to get one of those. It's cool because it's just, it's not needed, but it's just funny. It really is, and it
2: throws to Boba Fett in the best way. It's like that connects yeah. the dot of yeah. like. So instead of just jumping off the skiff for one second and seeing the jetpack, this dude is straight up Iron Manning outside his his. <laughs> <gym>. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, a
4: straight up Iron Man moment. Yeah. You know, you could totally see him give like a thumbs up and then like break away. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, cool, he salutes, man. I got he salutes it. Salutes
1: Yeah, that's oh <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Top Gun influence on Favreau right there. Yeah, that one's a good one for sure. Before I give mine. I have to throw in some honorable mentions that we had in our show notes here. The flashback to when the Mando was a kid. I, I love how they do this during the, the smelting process of his armor. We flashback and we see that B2 super battle droid come up on him before he gets rescued. So we know that this is during kind of Clone Wars time. This makes me wonder, that's a Separatist droid, right?
0: Yeah, they were, they were bad guys.
1: Yeah, so I wonder who was actually terrorizing that village. Nonetheless, it's really cool to see those updated in modern CG looking badass.
4: It's definitely not the one you were looking for.
3: <laughs> Adam. Ryan. Dude, to your point about the flashbacks, that's something I, I meant to say. This is one of the very, very rare instances where a flashback doesn't bother me. You you realize in, like, in movies, shows... Anything with, like, any kind of flashback or whatever, it's 90% of the time, it's just usually, like, really clumsy.
2: You're right. I mean, yeah. it's like you, di- you didn't have the tools to tell the story without it. So you exactly. use it. You lean Dude, on exactly. it. exactly. It's a crutch.
3: This is, like, one of the few instances where I wasn't taken out of the show, I wasn't taken out of the story. Uh, it actually added to it, and I thought it was, like, really well done.
4: Well, it's also not overdone, where it's like, yep, okay, right. now nah, this one flashback, we have to explain everything. so they they break it up and it's so minimal that it makes it intriguing and it's in an appropriate place
1: too when he's in there in the covert with the rest of the mandalorians as he's kind of leveling up as a mandalorian he's reminiscing on how he became a mandalorian it works yeah it's like bill said it's not because you don't have the other tools it's very deliberate
0: this is uh yet another star wars protagonist that becomes who they are because they lost their parents too
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's the theme I just got the emo goosebumps.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a montage theme from Team America because the flashback in Mandalorian takes place during a oh, montage nice. of his armor being Here made. <laughs> a little improvement. Yeah. We need a montage. Oh, of passion. Yeah. Yeah.
4: It also sounds like the music from Mike Tyson's montage, Punch Out when he's running.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, jogging. Exactly. The background vocals. <laughs> I need a montage. All the music
0: in Cobra Kai sounds like that, too. Yeah. I don't know if you guys watch that show. It's Oh, my God, that, dude. that's yeah,
1: good. It's, it's ridiculous. That's the next podcast, too, that we're going to start. <laughs> Cobra Kai. Yeah,
3: I'm in. It's I'm fully
0: in. the worst show that I like.
3: Dude, <laughs> same. I explained it the exact same way the other day. It's like, dude, it's so bad in the best way.
0: Yeah, I'm almost yeah. ready to get a Cobra Kai tattoo. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Second honorable mention... I'm spoiling my own here by calling these honorable mentions the village battle and the ATST takedown, like we talked about before, not to doggone the Ewok battle at all, but it makes something like the Ewok battle believable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And granted it's just one ATST, but they take down this big monster with a bunch of ropes and crap and a ditch filled with water. And also I love how sentient they make the ATST when it walks up on that, the edge of the the puddle, mm-hmm. the little pond. And it's like, mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. Something's wrong here and it backs off. It's so good, dude. I love dinosaurs too, so I'm just humming. All right. My favorites. My favorite scene. I'm going to rip off Bilky. Going back to get the child is so sick for so many reasons. I love the fight because he goes back and picks up all those dudes. He shoots with the grappling dart thing yep. with the line and he yanks that dude like scorpion style. Get over here. You know? Yeah.
2: And I love d- that. that's the guy he stabs in the back with the blade thing, right? He pulls him close to him and straight up scorpions him. I, th- I think well, so. One oh, of yeah. the dudes he stabs in the back in that fight too, which is also like really star Wars. We're going to, a dude is going to just stab a, a dude in the back. Like it's this new stuff. I'm in. It's really cool. And then when he goes in to the
1: actual like infirmary, whatever, where um homeboy with the glasses is, is doing, I guess he does like a biopsy on the child, essentially, right? He's doing some stuff He's bit.
2: definitely extracting data in some way, yeah.
1: Yeah. He's trying DNA. To some
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, some
1: DNA. I, was just say. <laughs> I love how he walks in <laughs> and there's stupid. that Imperial Medical Probe <laughs> Droid. And he yeah. just blasts it out, you know?
2: Another rad little fan service that's not pandering. Yeah. It's yeah. like, that's what yeah. they use for procedures like this.
1: Yep. And it's just cool that, like, that's the thing that tortured Leia and he just blasts it out. Like, it's like, oh, that's that thing. Oh, it's dead. Cool. That's what you get, you know? <laughs> so I love that. It's just really cool because there is a thing in Star Wars that I guess until Solo and until some more recent stuff, droids and other creatures, I'm using air quotes, they're all subhuman even though many of them are humanoid, they're all just kind of referred to as creatures. But I like the idea of like equal rights for droids and understanding that these creatures quote are sapient beings and they're not just inanimate objects. They're not just things to shoot at or to kill because they're in your way. They're not just monsters like old school. So I really like this moment where Pershing is really trying to protect the child calling him. He Mando calls him the kid again, just think it's awesome. And then he just, he smokes all these dudes and he's like, nope, this is not happening on my watch. I'm leveling up.
2: And he lets Pershing live. And the line Pershing says is something along the lines of, he wouldn't be alive if it weren't for me. That's where he drops the he. And you got to wonder how that plays later that he let him live.
1: And then my favorite quote is from the moment when the fight's about to go down in the covert, the armorer says, when one chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore, you are both hunter and prey. Sick.
3: Badass, ass
1: And her sick fake English accent. I love that. So good. Those are my faves.
3: Can I say one more thing? I would be remiss as a photographer. I didn't say I, I'm stating the obvious, but like the show is just goddamn beautiful, man. The mm-hmm. color grading, the cinematography, everything about it. Like a to Z is just 10 out of 10 to me, like to my eyes. Oh yeah. It is just so beautiful, man.
2: I think we that's just nailing final thoughts right there. Cause I was going to say, we got our final thoughts but I uh, it's awesome <laughs> again. <laughs> like, that's it. It's super Dude, cool. Uh,
3: it's so beautiful. It shot so well. All right, let's
1: hand out some medals from the patrons. <laughs> the Mandalorian chapter 3 and chapter 4. We went to the patrons as we do every episode when we're talking about a chapter of a show or we're talking about a film, pulled them for their favorite scenes. We have the following Five nominations. First, bringing the best car to the armorer and forging a new suit. Second, rescuing the child from the client. Third, the bounty hunter shootout, Mandalorian Tribe Saves the Day. Number four, the child pressing the buttons, switching the switches on the Razor Crest. Can't believe we haven't talked about that yet.
4: He's just hitting switches, you know what I'm saying? 16 switches?
1: (laughs) That's another just like birth of a meme right there. And lastly, the ATST takedown in the Village Showdown with the Raiders. The winner with 35% of the vote. The bounty hunter shootout, Mandalorian tribe saves the day. I thought that would win. Phew. Tied for second place the child pressing the buttons, switching the switches on the razor crest, and bringing the best car to the armorer, forging a new suit. Seven votes each.
2: So the cutest thing and the hardest thing. <laughs> Tied for second. I mean, that makes sense. I'm surprised the ATST
1: takedown didn't do better. It got one vote out of 28. You know? We have very few
4: patrons. Everybody patronize us, please support. That's probably because it wasn't in the best episode. So it wasn't as memorable. There you go. Maybe. Psychology, Josh Wills. Hey, all, only a few people like Willow, you know. Willow. <laughs> They're making a sequel. They're making a sequel? Yeah. Then I think it's
0: a series on Disney Plus, I think, and John Kasdan has is writing it or something like that.
4: No way. What's his name is still alive and he can do Willow? Yeah. He doesn't look any different. So is Val Kilmer? <laughs> yeah, Barely. well. Yeah, well. <laughs> Von Kant. He, could, he, he could bump into something
1: sharp at any moment and explode and a bunch of poop would shoot out.
4: But yeah, he couldn't make Top Gun 2, so I don't know if he can make the Willow series. Uh, <laughs> moving on to favorite
1: quotes to wrap this shit up. First, from The Client.
3: Such a large bounty for such a small package.
1: Second, from Grief Karga. They all hate you, Mando,
3: because you're a legend.
1: Third, The Mandalorian. I gotta get one of those. Number four, from The Mandalorian again. You want some soup? (laughs) (laughs) That was just for fun. And lastly, from The Armorer, of course.
3: This is the way. This
1: This is the way. We really blew it the first two chapters and threw that quote in there, not realizing it didn't even happen until the third episode, because like we've talked about here, it just is the show. So here it is. It won again. With 69% of the vote, this is the way, crushed. We could have given them some better quotes, honestly, but this will do. That'll do, pig. And then second place was tied with basically no percent, followed by something with less than no percent, followed by something with negative percent.
3: Yeah, because this is the way.
1: All right, let's let's uh, let's do something. Are you dudes down to do one more thing? Are you awake enough?
3: I've been up since two forty-five. Let's but I'm party! Good. I'm a
1: hologram, so
4: we're all good. <laughs>
2: a major weapons test is imminent. Test Bay ninety-four. You may fire when ready.
1: Test Bay ninety-four. A lightning round of questions for you dudes. Who's gonna go first? Well, I don't care. Josh Ryan. We'll go in that order for each question. So we're gonna give you either ors. Favorite things, and then would-you-rathers. So either or, you get a weapon in a battle as a Mandalorian. You get a jetpack or you get the Ambin rifle, the jawel vaporizer, either or, Josh Wills. Oh, the, the vaporizer, 100%. Brian Phillips?
3: No, jetpack. I wouldn't even fight, I'd just go <laughs> cruise.
1: There we go. Sick. I love that. Favorite Mandal weapon so far, Ambin rifle, whistling birds, flamethrower, vibroblade, or gatling blaster?
3: I don't know
2: what that thing's called, but it's like a Gatlin gun that's a blaster. Uh, the vaporizer.
4: Keeping it consistent. Yeah. Hey, man, hey, you just got to get yeah. rid of some people. <laughs> Ryan Phillips.
3: No, flamethrower. I go camping in a lot. And like, I'm hey, Ryan likes to watch his <laughs> people start, like
4: start. really burn and suffer. <laughs> yeah. mine, just, mine just go like that. And,
2: <laughs> and build a campfire wow. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. burning people Lose. alive and I'm cooking s'mores.
1: Yep. <laughs> Josh yep. is like Sam Jackson yep. and Jackie Brown.
2: AK-47,
4: the very best there is when you absolutely, positively got to kill every in the room, except no substance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather get to have a Mando jetpack, but you have to fight Cara Dune, bare knuckle, win or lose, to get that thing?
2: You might beat her, but you also might not, but either way, you have to fight her to get the jetpack.
1: If I I lose, I still
2: get the the jetpack?
1: Yeah, it's it's your fee for the fight, yeah. Or... Or get to have your favorite meal of all time every night with no weight gain consequence.
3: <laughs> but
1: you have to live by Mando helmet rules. In other words, you can only take it off when you eat or sleep. and have to be completely alone in both those situations. You have to eat alone. You have to sleep alone.
3: Josh already does that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Would you rather? I love solitude, but... <laughs> <laughs> I would totally take an ass whooping to be able to fly. Yeah. Because there's no way I'm beating that chick up.
3: No, she would whoop my ass, same, but I will I oh, fly. Yeah. I just want to fly.
4: I'll just let her hit me once and knock me out. Yeah, I'd fake it. <laughs> and I'd be like, All right, cool. Got it. Yeah. He's flying
2: around with a broken jaw or a busted <laughs> cheekbone, but yeah.
4: I'll fly
2: to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'll land in the oh. lobby and go, hey fix this (laughs) fix this fix this or i'll use my disintegrator my ambin (laughs) rifle on you
4: (laughs) yeah (laughs) fix it now that was fun oh that's that's good
1: all right let's wrap it up with a quote of the week it goes like this i love star wars you know and i can't remember the last story meeting i've been in where star wars wasn't referenced it's so perfect in so many ways john favreau i love
2: that dude I don't know if he said that before or after he got to work on Star Wars, but I'm going to live in my head. It's going to be like long before in your head movies that he just said that somewhere. And then later on in his career, he is like one of the most influential Star Wars writers ever. Like he was talking to Vince Vaughn when they were doing swingers. Yeah. Yeah. Or made. All right. Let's wrap
1: it up. I would ask you guys if you're going to plug anything, but we're in the same band, so I don't think we're allowed to plug anything yet. So I'll instead ask you to tell these people where they can find you on the internet. The dark
4: web usually. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy scoops on the dark web. Oh, that's great! <laughs> just, just trading things, humans, <laughs> firearms. Uh, on all my social media, I'm at Josh underscore Wills two Yeah, I don't
3: do social media except for Instagram. I am Ryan Phillips. That's it.
1: If you're looking for the podcast, you can find us at Thank The Maker Pod on Instagram at Thank The Maker One on Twitter my personals are all at adam the skull
2: bill key over here at william ryan key and i'm still at nick bayside even
0: though last week i said maybe i wouldn't be i don't know <laughs> but uh one little plug to Never me change, and Chris. man i won't i promise uh me and chris the drummer of bayside uh we roast coffee a coffee company called Legal Speed and we are uh, broke musicians who don't have a career anymore because some guy <laughs> ate a bat once. Hashtag COVID. <laughs> That's the quick one. Gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow um, made a movie and now I don't have a job. Yeah. Uh, but please go follow us. If you, if you like coffee and all that, it's at uh, Legal Speed coffee and say hi over there. If you don't want to say hi to me uh, at Nick Bayside for some godforsaken reason. And if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com
1: slash thank the maker pod not only to get some kind of cool benefits like being involved in AMAs, submitting questions, voting in these polls and things, but also just straight up to help make this podcast happen. Even just a few bucks per episode, not as a, hey, I'm going to get some stuff, but more as a, hey, I want this to keep going. I'm going to help these dudes out. That's where you can do it. Patreon.com slash thank the maker pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to these nerds for being on the podcast. And until next time, may the force be with you.